Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 22. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 22. And what, what a tremendous privilege and honor it is to be here at Mile High Conference, Revival Conference 2021. I give honor to so many dear, precious men of God that are in this uh, room, in this facility this evening. Pastor Dieter, it's been a couple of years since we've seen each other, and uh, I honor you, sir. It's good to see you. You guys are looking great. Amen. And God's been so good to you, and it's good to see you tonight. Amen. Um, Brother uh, Tate, our presbyter here, tonight I honor you, and I thank you for you sharing a little bit of your testimony tonight. What a powerful testimony that is. Amen. I'm, I'm thankful to know that I'm not the only one in the room that was the result of somebody knocking on a door. Amen. Uh, we got a lot of door knocks when I was a kid. He said he said they, he got a door knock and they had a search for truth chart. I got a door knock one time and there was a search warrant. So I'm just thankful to be in the house of God today. Amen. Thankful for people who will go into the hood and pick bus kids up and bring them to church. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. And uh, uh, Brother Turpin, our district superintendent, love you, sir. And um, think of you often, pray for you and Dustin often. Amen. And uh, Brother Shaw, love you, man. And he, he and I share a love for the city of Los Angeles. Great, great harvest field there. So many great men. It's been a privilege and an honor um, to share the pulpit this uh, week with Pastor Reddy, Dr. Reddy. What a tremendous, you know, not only insight into uh, the, uh, the harvest, not only insight into the concept of missions, but a man who walks in the Word of God. And anytime you preach the Word in such a way, the, re the response speaks for itself, and you could feel the depth of response when he preached the word these last couple of days. Bishop Staten, I love you, and there's not enough that I could say tonight about this man and the impact that he's had, and he is a legend. We are, you know, there were books of the Bible written about guys like Brother Staten, and, and I don't even say that facetiously. I really don't. I mean that. And so apostles, we walk with some apostles, and we have one among our midst uh, tonight. We have a few among our midst, Bishop Haman. And so what a tremendous atmosphere. Man, you young people, you're going to turn this city upside down. You know, the strength of a church is in its elders, and I feel the strength. When Bishop was up here, I felt strengthened. Sitting next to Brother uh, Staten, I felt strengthened. The strength of a church is in its elders, but the life of a church is in its youth. And what a group of young people. You know, Brother Haman, Bishop Haman got up, and I'm reminded of Acts chapter 2, verse number 17. In the last days, say the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your young people. You know, it says that your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And I believe that Luke was intentional in this writing because it is our elders 
Dreams are rooted in memory. Dreams are rooted in subconscious recollections of bygone occurrences. I thank God for our elders that can come up and dream and remember. You know, your dreams, most of the dreams that you dream are rooted in your subconscious memory. Our elders need to dream for us. They need to remember some things. They need to get up and say, this is what it took to raise up a church in this city. This is the sacrifice it took. This was the prayer it took. This was the fasting it took. This was the sacrifice financially and of our time that it took to build apostolic churches. Dream for us, elder, dream for us. Bishop Haman, don't stop dreaming. Don't stop, you, you remember what it took and you tell us what it took and you remind us of what it took and you challenge us to remain constant and faithful to this message. It's our young people that will see visions. Visions aren't rooted in dreams. Visions aren't rooted in subconscious. Visions are not rooted in recollections of bygone occurrences. Visions are rooted in the unseen. Visions are rooted in the unknown. Visions are rooted in what is, what is yet to be. And I, I thank God. Does anybody thank God today that we have an Acts 2 and 17 church in this place right now? That we have elders who can come up and remind us of the commitment and the the sacrifice and the sanctification and the consecration that it took and then we have the young people that can come up and say we see a vision for this city to take what God has done already and to bring it into the 21st century context of the Denver Metro in the state of Colorado in the district of Colorado oh I thank God for young men I thank God for I thank God for Don the third over here, Pastor Heyman the third over here. Get ready to take this thing into the 21st. Man, what life I feel in this place today because of our young people. The life of the churches and the young. I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I feel like I'm standing on. Uh, I feel like I'm building a treehouse tonight on a mighty old oak. There's some roots in this place. Thank you, Bishop Heyman, for that strength. And I honor your pastor, Don Heyman II, for, and his wife, his lovely wife and their family, for, taking, for having the vision to, to take a, what I would call a legacy preaching conference and have a vision to equip and to, to take this and to, and to say, you know, preaching conferences are necessary and preaching conferences are great, but we need to equip the next generation in how to reach this world. Tonight, you're going to hear from my heart. I'm going to preach. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to do it in love. This is where I'm at. This is what God has challenged me with. I'm going to challenge us to stop being afraid of the culture that we live in today. I'm going to challenge us apostolics to stop fleeing from our cities, to stop running from the problems that exist. Amen. But, you know, in my city, I mentioned this, I can think of probably close to 100 people that have fled L.A., Holy Ghost-filled apostolic people. If God calls you elsewhere, you go. 
the Holy Ghost calls you elsewhere, you go where God calls you to go. But if you're running scared because you, you're, we're fleeing our harvest fields. When, and I can think of close to 100 people, apostolic Holy Ghost field that have fled in search of a, a better political system. In search of a redder state. In search of cheaper housing. And this may not be your problem yet. You've had a lot of influx of these same people coming here, but Denver's not far behind. And we need some Holy Ghost-filled apostolics to say, I'm not fleeing. I'm not going anywhere unless God calls me to go. There's a difference between following the call of God and fleeing out of fear. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 22. The words of Moses. But I must die in this land. That's what I want to preach tonight. I must die in this land. Father, we love you. And your presence is so real, so rich in this place. And we thank you for it. We are so undeserving, God, of your glory. We're so undeserving, God, of your presence. However, we find ourselves in this place tonight in the presence of a merciful God. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that you would convict us until what we hear becomes what we do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. His name is James Harrison. Mr. Harrison is known in Australia as the man with the golden arm. Every single week for 60 years, James Harrison has donated plasma from his right arm. After his first blood donation in 1955, Mr. Harrison got a call from a group of doctors. They informed Mr. Harrison that his blood could be the answer to a deadly problem for which they had no answer. In Australia at this time, in the 50s, there were thousands of babies dying every year from a rare condition that had no cure. This was the result of what was called the rhesus disease. This was a condition wherein the pregnant woman's body uh, or the blood in her body would begin to turn on her and aggressively attack her unborn baby's blood cells. Because of this, thousands of women uh, were having numerous miscarriages and many babies were being born with severe brain damage. Some survived the birth only to die shortly thereafter. Harrison was discovered to have within his blood an unusual antibody. And he began to work with Australian doctors to develop an injection that they called the anti-D. This antibody, the anti-D, totally prevents rhesus disease. <clears throat> Harrison's blood is precious blood. According to the Australian Red Cross, anti-D created from Harrison's blood is credited with saving the lives of more than two million babies. 
oh, there's, oh, there's a little bit of, oh, there's a little bit of power in the blood. Two million lives saved by one man's blood. I didn't believe this story. I did research on this, and I verified it to be true. This is the age of fact-checking. Go ahead and fact-check this one. This is a true story. One man's blood has saved two million lives. In explaining his life's mission to save millions alive, Harrison tells a story about a traumatic accident that he had at 14 years old that caused him to need a, a lung transplant. During the procedure, he nearly died from blood loss. The doctors performed a life-saving blood transfusion on Harrison as he lay on that operating table. His life was saved by the blood of another. Mm. Well, there's some power in the blood. And his life's mission from that point forward was crimson clear. So when he is asked why, why, Mr. Harrison, would you go every single week and deplete your own blood? Why, Mr. Harrison, would you go every week for 60 years and deplete your own plasma? He simply replies, I give my blood because somebody gave their blood to me. I give my blood because somebody gave their blood to me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking through the man with the golden arm tonight because I think that's the best answer to the Great Commission that I've ever heard in my life. Why would we spend our lives on a mission field? Why would we spend our lives building churches? Because somebody gave their blood to us. Because somebody gave their blood to us. Why would we go across the world? Why would we go across the state? Why would we go across the city, quit our jobs, uproot our families, sell everything we have, spend all of our savings to raise up churches and preach to sinners? because somebody gave their blood to you. Pastor, why do you do everything you and your precious family does? Why do you pour your heart and soul into Denver, Pastor Heyman? Why have you put everything on the line this week? Because somebody, because somebody gave their blood to you. Calvary Church, Mile High, you're probably not called to go across the world to Liberia or to Luxembourg or to L.A., but you're called to Colorado, and you're called to sacrifice here, and you're called to give here, and you're called to serve here. And why do so many of you in this room give and serve and sacrifice in, in, in this place, in this field, in this land? You do it because somebody gave their blood to you. You do it because somebody gave their blood to me. So I can turn around to give to others because somebody loved me. I can turn around and love others because somebody served me. I can turn around and serve somebody else because somebody forgave me. I can turn around and forgive others. I believe my with all of my heart, Brother Turpin, and what you prophesied. I don't believe that you were just doing superintendent stuff. 
don't know what I mean by that. I don't believe you were just doing raw, raw stuff. If you, if you did, I'd still support it. But the hour's too late and the day's too short for us just to rah, rah, rally the troops. I believe that your superintendent was operating in the gifts of the Spirit tonight. I believe that he was walking in the prophetic when he said, we're going to have a church in every city in this state. I believe with all of my heart that you're going to have the greatest revival this region has ever seen. You just let a group of young people like this one rise up in the state of Colorado who are willing to give themselves to a mission, who are willing to sell it all. You just get a group of pastors like the group of pastors that's in this room tonight who their life's desire is to see the Great Commission fulfilled in their cities. You just get a group of people who are willing to rise up and start giving to the Great Commission. People who recognize, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Oh, thanks be to God. There was a time in my life when I was laying on an operating table and I didn't have much hope. Oh, but the blood of Jesus. Oh, but the blood. Oh, there was a time in my life when I was laying on the operating table of sin and I needed a blood transfusion. And thanks be to God who is rich in mercy. Amen. That he shed his blood on Calvary. Sin had taken my life, but his blood has given me life. And because he first gave, I can give. And because he first serve, I can serve. Because he first loved, I can love. John the evangelist said it this way. We love because he first loved us. Paul said it this way. God demonstrated his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ said it this way. Greater love hath no man than he that would lay down his life for another. Moses said it this way. I must die in this land. I must die in this land so that you can cross over so that you can go over Jordan. Moses said, I'm willing to pour it all out right here. I'm willing to give it all right here so that somebody else can make it. I'm willing to give everything right in this field, right in this land. I've got to die here, and if I've got to die here, so be it. If that gets somebody else over Jordan, if that gets somebody else into heaven, if that gets somebody else, if we can populate the hallways of heaven together, if we can just commit to this field and say, I will die in this land, I will die in this mission. I, I, I've got to die here. I've got to die out to self here. I've got to die out to flesh here. I've got to die out to impure motives here. I've got to die out to long-standing problems here. I've got to die out to old paradigms here. 
I've got to die out to old ways of doing it here. And I've got to lay it all out on the mission field and say, God, I'm willing to die of myself in this land so that somebody else, because I've got a neighbor that needs you, so I've got to sell it all and buy the field. I've got a coworker that needs you, God. I've got to sell it all and buy the field. I've got somebody in my high school, somebody in my college that needs you. Just, just, just for a chance, Moses said, just, just, just for a chance that you might see your promise, I'll die here. You know, of all the types and shadows in the Old Testament, this one moves me to mission. I mean, like no other. You see the people and the events in the Exodus story, we know. It's a preview of what Christ would do. Children of Israel, you see the children of Israel. We know this is the church. You don't need the search for truth tonight. Egypt is a shadow of sin. Pharaoh is a shadow of Satan. The Passover in which they would take an innocent lamb, shed the blood of that lamb, and apply it to a wooden doorpost. That's just the shadow of another innocent lamb. His blood would not be applied to a wooden doorpost, but a wooden cross. And the cross becomes the doorpost for your life. That's why Jesus said, I am the door. Because when his blood was applied at Calvary, the door of salvation became available to people like you and me. Broken people like you and me. Is anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus tonight? Oh, is there still power in the blood tonight? Come on, is this still a church? Is this still a people? Are we thankful for the blood of Jesus? Are we thankful for the blood of Christ that was shed for the remission of sin? Can I just preach this? Can I preach the gospel? Is there anybody? Can I preach the good news for a minute if you're here today? And you, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a home, I'm a North American missionary, but Bishop said it's still called home missions. So I got to submit to the bishop, it's still home missions. I'm a home missionary tonight, so I'm going to preach like a home missionary. If you're here today and you're far from God, you need to know something. You need to know something. And if you're here today and you're not where you need to be with God, you also need to be reminded and you need to know something, that you are only one repentant prayer away from the blood of Jesus. And that's it. And that's all it takes. Just one repentant prayer can blot out a lifetime of iniquity. Just one repentant prayer can turn a lifetime of sin into a lifetime of promise. But I've got a past, Brother McGovern. But I've got sin in my life, Brother McGovern. But I've got problems in my That's just the enemy who wants you to live in guilt and doubt and fear and shame. But Jesus has overcome. And if you're in Christ today, there is therefore now no condemnation. And that sin that you thought would destroy you. It doesn't need to be the nail in your coffin because it's already been nailed to a cross. Come on, he paid it all for you. He shed his blood for you. He conquered death for you. If you've fallen, if you've strayed, you're just one drop of blood away. Preach about the blood tonight? Is that all right? Can I just preach about the blood? You're just one drop of blood away. One drop of blood blots out a lifetime of sin. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, we used to sing it this way. There is power, power, power. Wonder-working power 
in the blood of the lamb. This is the power of the blood. It's not just blood of another spotless lamb, but his blood is precious blood, for it washed the stains of man. And his blood, it heals my body, and it sets my spirit free. Oh, I'm so glad his precious blood still flows. It still flows. Oh, it reaches to the highest mountain, and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood of Jesus is greater than your sin. The blood of Jesus is greater than your mistakes. The blood of Jesus is greater than your failure, greater than your past, greater than anything you did last week. Oh, the blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God. We've got a responsibility because of the blood. He shed his blood. He gave. So we give. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Something happens when you declare the blood of Jesus in a place. Something happens when you preach the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is greater than culture. The blood of Jesus is greater than the sin of this world. The blood of Jesus is greater than our political problems and our political divisions. The blood of Jesus is greater than the raging that's going on in the streets. The blood of Jesus is greater than racial tension. The blood of Jesus is greater than political problems. Boy, Maggie stumbled in one day to the church in L.A. Our first building outside of our living room was in a community center right by some railroad tracks. And we used to get all kinds of people off the metro. People would literally stumble in. Maggie was one of those people. She stumbled in. She didn't look like we look like tonight. She didn't smell like we smelled like tonight. Maggie came in, and, uh, you know, we were church planters. And so I have a, a rule now for myself, for my own personal sanity. You know, we live in L.A. where it's culturally acceptable to be 30 to 45 minutes late to everything. I tell our people all the time, you are missing the best 30 minutes of worship you'll ever get all week. Amen. Um, so I just stand like this, you know. I'm up on the front row, and I don't even look back because I don't even want to know. Ignorance is bliss. Every once in a while, I'll check my clock. Is it 30 minutes in yet? Okay. And then after the third song, I'll turn around. Oh, there's the people. There they are. If you build it, they will come. In L.A., if you build it, they'll come late. They'll come. But we were about a year or so into this plant. and uh, So I was doing this, you know. Nobody. <laughs> Not one solitary soul other than my wife and our kids and our team. And kept looking back, nobody. And all of a sudden, Maggie stumbles in. 
And I see Maggie just, she just goes, I don't even remember what we're singing. She lifts her hand. And, uh, I could see Maggie just trembling under the power of the presence of God. And I went up to Maggie and I said, Maggie, can I pray with you? And she said, Pastor, hey, she said, I want to worship. I want to pray. I feel something here, she said, but I've got so much dirt in my life. And she said these words. She says, I'm not worthy for Jesus. And I just looked at Maggie, and the only best answer that I had at that time was, Maggie, blood stains are greater than mud stains. The blood of Jesus is greater than your failures. The blood of Jesus is greater than your past. The blood of Jesus is greater than your sin. She said, but pastor, you don't understand what I've done. And she's proceeded to tell me all the things that she had done. And I, and I cut her off and I said, Maggie, I'd love to hear your story at some point. But you just need to know today that the blood of Jesus is in this house. And it's greater than anything that you've ever done. There is nothing that is too big for the blood of Jesus. There's no sin stain too deep that the blood of Jesus cannot wash out. You ever get dirt on a shirt, you can wash it out. You ever get a little crayon on your shirt? I've got kids, I get crayons on my shirts. I get, I get snot on my shoulder. I get crumbs all over me. And, and uh, I've got kids and I, they're always on me. And you get stuff on your shirt, you can wash it out. Did you ever get blood on your shirt? Let me tell you something about the blood. It's never coming out. It doesn't matter how many times you wash it. It doesn't matter how much Tide you use. It doesn't matter how much blood or how much bleach you use. It's never coming out. You can wash that shirt a hundred times. You're still going to see the blood. The blood of Jesus is kind of like that. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It's hard to get the blood of Jesus off of somebody. Once you get the blood of Jesus on you, it's never coming off. It's hard to get off because blood is sticky and blood gets down into the fiber and it gets down into the DNA. Oh, I thank God for the blood to day I thank God that when I strayed the blood of Jesus was still visible on my life I thank God that I should be dead but I'm in the house of God because of the blood nothing 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 but the blood some of you are here today, and you're only here because of the blood of Jesus. You shouldn't even be here right now, but thanks be to God who is rich in mercy. The blood of Jesus. And Passover is a shadow of Calvary, you know that. The Red Sea becomes a shadow of baptism. It says the new me has come out of sin through the water. The old me is left buried back in Egypt. By the way, the Bible says when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, they erupted in praise. This is how you can tell the free people in church. They don't need cheerleading. They don't need to be prodded. Come on, they don't need to be pumped up and primed. They just, they just remember I, I shouldn't be here. They just remember I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. 
This is how you know the free people in church. They don't need four songs and someone to pump them up. All they got to do is just remember, I was once in Egypt, but he brought me out. He put my feet on solid ground. And when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my Thank God for saving me. Moses becomes a shadow of Christ because he was born to bring salvation. He was a shadow of which Christ was the reality. I'm not here to do the search for truth stuff, but just, just follow me for a minute. Because when you see these shadows and types, and then you read Moses' words in Deuteronomy 4, this gives gravity to his words. This gives weight. To his words, Brother Staten. He said, I must die in this land. I must die in this wilderness so somebody can enter into their promise. And when you understand that in context, God was very upset. God was extremely upset with the children of Israel. He was angry because of their behavior in the wilderness. And you know that a sacrifice was required here, but Moses understood that something was going to have to be done. And he looked across the faces of these hopeless people in a hopeless world, in a hopeless situation with no way out. And he looked on their faces and he said, they're worth it. They're worth it. But they're liberal. Oh, I'm preaching to tonight. They're liberals. They're worth it. But they're conservatives. <laughs> they're worth it. But they're drug addicts. They're worth it. But they're pushing all kinds of crazy agendas. But they're still souls. And they're worth it. And they're worth it. This world is not your enemy. Christ did not come into the world to condemn it. We don't need to either. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the Democrats that he gave. And he loved the Republicans. And he gave. And he loved the drug addicts. And he gave. And he loved the homosexuals. And he gave. Moses didn't do this out of convenience. He did this in the wilderness. It wasn't a convenient place to sacrifice. This wasn't a mission trip to the Bahamas. You ever see missions trips and you just scratch your head? Mission, missions trip? 
I'm messing. I'm kidding. There's people in the Cayman Islands that need Jesus too. There's people on Waikiki that need the gospel, okay? I'm, a, I'm just kidding around. Some of you don't get offended with me. I support AYC. We just hosted it. Well, you ever see some missions trips and you're like, I got gypped as a young person. <laughs> Bro, they sent us to Tijuana. These kids are going to Tahiti. This wasn't a mission trip to a beach. This was the wilderness. I'll give. I'll get involved when it's convenient. For God so loved the world, he gave. He didn't do it out of convenience. He did it out of love. He did this in the wilderness. Nobody's going to sign up to a missions trip to the wilderness. They don't, they don't feature the wilderness on, on, on travel channels, you know. You know, today we're going to take you into the, we're going to explore the wilderness today. Let's show you the lifestyles of the rich and famous, you know, in the wilderness. They don't feature the wilderness on, on, on vacation tran- ch- channels, brother. Ready? You know where they feature the wilderness? Survival shows. Survival shows. We're going to send you <laughs> by yourself with nothing into the harshest place on planet earth and we hope you make don't die don't die Moses didn't do this out of convenience he didn't do this out of abundance he didn't do this because he was in a good place when I get in a good place you know when I get in a good place then I can really do something for the for the kingdom of God you know when I when I when I'm a little bit older you know, when I've got a, a steady job and then when I've got, a, you know, my college and I've got all that squared away and I've got my bank account set up and I've got my 401k and i got this and i got that and i got a job and a mortgage. And what's going to happen is you get a 401k and then you get a job and then you get a mortgage and then you get car payments and then you get insurance payments and then you get kids and then you forget about the call of God that was on your life when you were a young person. That's why Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the day becomes evil and you find no pleasure in life. What was Solomon saying? He was saying, boy, you better remember that God called you before you get a little bit older and you get caught up with school and you get caught up with family and you get caught up with mortgage payments and you get caught up with life and you get caught up with politics and you get caught up with the systems of this world. Remember the creator when you're young. Young people, remember right now that God is calling you. You soak this moment in right now. You capture this moment right now and you don't forget what you feel in this house today and when you go home and you feel like, well, I'll just put it off till it's a little more convenient. You remember what this preacher's preaching to you today and you get up and you dust off your convenience and you get out into your city and you go reach some people he didn't do this out of abundance brother Staten 
well, when I have money in the bank, then I can go plant a church. Moses said, I don't have anything to give. I've got nothing. We're in the wilderness. This is inconvenient, and this is painful, and I'm broke, and we don't have anything here. In fact, we have so little that we don't even know if we're going to wake up in the morning and have food. We've just got to go to sleep with the faith and the hope that we're going to wake up in the morning. There's going to be manna there. There's no abundance in the wilderness. He said, but I, even if I personally never see the land of abundance, even if I personally never see the land of milk and honey, I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to forsake that. I'm willing to sacrifice that. There's got to be some people in this room today that say, even if I never become a millionaire, Even if I never become what everybody thinks I should be, I'll give that up. I'll die in this land because somebody is worth it. They're 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 worth it. Moses sacrificed milk and honey for blood, sweat, and tears. Why would he do this? Because Moses said, if I've got to die destitute so somebody can live in destiny, I'm willing to pour out my life here, right here, in this land, in this place. Oh, this makes a lot of sense when you hear Jesus say, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, even if you don't, even if I don't get through this not my will but thy will be done and Moses died in that land and Jesus died on that cross and it was all so that hopeless people could experience this blessed living hope and it was also broken people could experience worth and lifeless people could experience life more abundant. Ah, McGovern, you're worked up. I admit, I am. This is the same Moses that said in Exodus 32, Lord, if you won't forgive these people of their sins. Watch this. If you won't forgive them, take me out of your book. Take me out of your book. They're worth it. Moses, don't you know how many times they've turned their back on you? They're worth it. Don't you know how many times these fickle people have made God angry? They're worth it. Moses, don't you understand how backslidden this city is? Don't you understand how far gone our universities are? Don't you understand how far gone this culture is with all this craziness going on? Moses said, God, if you won't forgive them, take me out of the book too. I'm not advocating you pray like that. But I think we've become so comfortable and so self-satisfied saying, God, as long as I get to heaven. Above all else, I must be saved. This was the same Moses that the psalmist said he stood in the gap. 
He stood in the gap. There's an ever-increasing gap in our culture. Will you stand in it? We're good at picking sides. We're not good at standing in the gap. We're good at picking a red or picking a blue or picking a donkey or picking an elephant. But God said, stand in the gap. God said, are they worth it? Are they worth it for some Holy Ghost-filled people to look at this lost world that's broken and they don't look like us and they don't smell like us and they don't do life like us and say, yeah, but they're worth it and I'm going to stand in the gap. And the Bible says that when Moses stood in the gap, it turned back the wrath of God. Could it be that in Denver... And in Hollywood, that God's just waiting for a few apostolics to say, I'll die in this land. I'll stand in the gap, God. I've got to turn back the time. I've got to redeem the hour. Musicians, would you come? I've got more to preach. I feel like Holy Ghost in this place today. Come on, apostolics. We got to stop picking political fights and stand in the gap. He put his life on the line for a bunch of fickle people, a bunch of carnal people, a bunch of inconsistent, unfaithful, unthankful, backslidden people in the middle of a wilderness. In the middle of a place that Moses said, I feel like a stranger in this land. He saw something in that wilderness that nobody else saw. He saw people that needed a promise. And he said, they won't get there unless somebody dies in this land. They saw a city. Colorado with no church. And they said they won't get there unless somebody answers the call. They saw a suburb in Denver with no apostolic point of light. And he said, unless I die in this land, I stop waiting until it's convenient. I stop trying to do this out of my own abundance. And I just say, God, I'll stand in the gap. He saw a suburb in Denver. And he said, I'll die in this land. Because there's thousands of people in this subdivision that need to make it to heaven. And I've got to stand in the gap. He put it all on the line for a bunch of carnal people. I feel a directive for this this, this revival conference, these, these good people, these good apostolics in the room today, these good Holy Ghost filled saints in the room today, these good pastors in the room today that God's been telling you to send somebody into the next town, into the next suburb to let your spirit of giving and sacrifice and going and sending let it echo those faithful words of Moses as he looked across the throngs of hopeless humanity Bishop Haman and he said they're worth it and I'm pour out all myself so they can live or die so they can 
live. I'll go so somebody in my city can be saved. I'll go so there can be an apostolic church in a city somewhere. I'll go so there can be a soul-saving station in this city. I'll go so that some messed up, carnal, broken people. I'll lay down my life. die in this land you die in this land stop fleeing in fear start following in faith what God has put in your spirit man of God I'll die in this land I'll stand in the gap on you there's a neighborhood waiting on you there's a community waiting on you there's a high school waiting on you there's a college waiting on you there's lost loved ones waiting on you 